Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. There's this pretty amazing thing that happens when you have to teach somebody something. By forcing yourself to articulate what it is you're trying to teach, you both become more clear in your own point of view about that thing, and you realize, wow, I actually know a lot about this topic. That moment of realization is exactly what happened to our guest today. And her aha moment led her to approach the unapproachable world of venture capital in a whole new way, through the lens of an operator. Our guest today is Malin Yen, the founder and CEO of the Operator Collective, a VC fund and community comprised not of the typical VC prognosticators that you'll find on Twitter, but instead populated by tech's most sought after operators from diverse backgrounds. Malin is a former intellectual property attorney turned enterprise operator turned VC. In our conversation, we're going to talk about that aha moment behind the Operator Collective. We'll explore why VC didn't feel accessible to her and operators like her, and we'll learn all that we can about the 137 Operator LPs in the Operator Collective's fund. To start, I asked Malin to take me back to the catalyst for starting Operator Collective in the first place and how she arrived at the point of view that operators were best positioned to help growing companies. Originally, there was not a grand plan, which is like, aha, you know what, I know that operators are needed. It wasn't actually that conscious. So um, so my background is I have the, probably the oddest background for someone who has started a VC fund. I actually started out my career as an intellectual property attorney. How many of those have you had on the show? Zero, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> One now, right? Um, and, and so... Um, and so that uh, it, it's a it's a little bit of a long answer to your question, which is my my um, my first startup was a nonprofit that I started on the side because because there were very few women in in patent law actually at the time, and that ended up growing to like five thousand members in twenty two chapters around the world. The second one was actually a venture backed startup um, in the patent risk reduction and insurance space because um, I only do like sexy industries like that. <laughs> Um, and we grew that from zero to 100 million in public in less than three years. But I was such an outsider to venture, I didn't realize there was, there was anything actually unusual about that. Mm. Um, and then the third one was having a, a front seat from the ground up at Saster, right? So a lot of these companies that are now going public were just getting off the ground. This is when people were asking, like, like, what does SaaS stand for? And like, ew, yeah. why are you into enterprise software? Could anything be more boring <laughs> than that? And and so, um, and so, Operator Collective is 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 the the culmination of all those experiences. But it wasn't like, oh, I see what's happening. Here's what I'm going to do. What happened is, is that that venture back company was a very um, niche. It was a very strange company to be public. So, ten years after after the company was started, we took it private again. And after we sold the company and took it private. Um, I had a moment to step back and for the probably the first time in my life or career to step back and say, hey, what do I want to do? And I knew I loved working with startups and I loved working with founders, but I always felt a bit of an outsider, right? Um, I wasn't part of the the in crowd of, of the VC world mm. um, and always felt like, oh, wow, like they can do all these things. They know how to invest in the next, you know, Twitter. They know how to do this. And they're always tweeting to each other. They have these huge presences on social media. And here I am, which is I mostly identify as an enterprise operator. But as I started to dip my toe into saying, hey, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do, it turned out that a lot of the founders wanted to talk to me. 
And mm. a lot of the VCs wanted to introduce me to their portfolio companies because it actually turned out that not that many people had grown revenue basically from the ground up to 300 million in the enterprise. But when you're so immersed in something, you sometimes don't realize that you actually know things that other people don't. And so my aha moment was sitting there talking to probably like my fifth founder, knowing also I didn't have the, the net worth to be able to just, you know, invest in all these on my own or the time to, to advise. And, um, the first few times it happened, I'm like, wow, they think everything I'm saying is so helpful and, and like, like brilliant. I'm like, this is second nature. And, um, but then when I step back, what I realized is, well, of course it's second nature to me. I live my life in the enterprise and, and then sold to the enterprise. But a lot of these founders um, and some of the VCs as well, right? They're super smart. They're super motivated and um, hardworking and, um, and determined, but a lot of them have never actually bought enterprise software sold enterprise right. software, um, used enterprise software, been in an enterprise. And when you haven't been in, a, in an enterprise and also built large teams, right? And so if you haven't been in an enterprise, it's actually hard to get the training you get. I actually tell sort of people coming right out of school, actually, you should go to a big company because you'll get great training that you otherwise can't really get um, elsewhere. And so, so, it, so that was the aha moment, which is, wow. First of all, it was like, oh, they, they want to talk to me. And it's like, oh, they think what I'm saying is really interesting. And it's like, oh, well, of course they do because they're smart, right? They know that once you yeah. get that initial idea and you muscle it off the ground, you don't, you can't just hire a bunch of natural athletes to grow and scale your company. You actually need people who have been there, done that. And, um, and so that was when I said, um, of course they need people like me, but I just didn't realize it because venture felt so unachievable and unattainable. And then I realized that, well, because you tend to know a lot of people like you, um, I knew a lot of enterprise operators who had built and scaled up companies like, you know, my company was Cisco and, you know, Salesforce and Google and, and Stripe and beyond. And, um, and that they were also feeling like me, which is they are working a huge day job, climbing the corporate ladder. Um, a lot of us were 40 and over, trained to juggle raising a family. And most mm -hmm. of us were women and people of color as well. And so... My, my moment was, you know what, if we could, um, and I'm also, I, I'm also an operator, so I hate inefficiency. Right? So like, I would hate for everyone to have to, I have to solve this void, <laughs> which is if I solve it for myself, which is I spent a year sort of meeting with people and trying to understand what the issues were. And then I was like, Oh, I've solved it for me. Why don't I just share it with everyone else? So I also knew that if we could, if we could find a way to bring all this extremely talented operating talent into the venture ecosystem in a way that was accessible to these busy, busy operators who have these humongous day jobs, then, then we would be able to pretty much invest in, um, in, you know, in, in all kinds of great companies. And at the same time, what we'd be doing is we'd expand wealth creation. So it wasn't that same group of um, same group of individuals, the homogenous dominant group who again and again are deciding which companies will be successful, which companies will be funded, what the culture looks like, what it looks like when those companies grow in scale. And so it's about expanding wealth creation and literally, you know, bringing our natural, more diverse networks into the venture ecosystem. So we change the tech industry from the ground up because forced diversity doesn't work. Right. If we could align financial incentives, expand wealth creation and make it natural for these networks of people that don't intersect. Right. I was I mean, I was an example like I was in the tech industry. I had 
been a part of the founding team as this venture-backed startup that we had grown up. I'd been part of Sasser from the early days, but I totally felt like an outsider. Like venture yeah. was not accessible to me. I was not a, I didn't, I wasn't a long time angel investor, was not engaged in all these companies because I just didn't feel like that was something that I had the skill set to do. So that that is why, um, which is I didn't have that grand plan at the beginning, but as I went through the zone experience for myself, I realized there's an opportunity here to not just bring operators in for the sake of bringing operators in for the sake of helping founders, but yes, we want to do that, but it's a deeper mission of literally changing the face of hopefully the tech industry and beyond from the ground up in a way that expands the power dynamic by expanding wealth creation. I mean, the mission part of what you guys do is just so, so admirable. Like hearing you explain it and looking backwards, it feels so obvious. And yet it's taken a long time, right, to actually leverage the expertise of these operators inside of these fast growing companies, inside of the folks that have been there, done that. Do you think it's because of simply what you said around people felt like there was just too big of a barrier to entry or or there wasn't that overlap between the worlds? Because now to hear you explain it, it's like, why did why weren't people doing this a long time ago? Yeah, because um, <laughs> lots of reasons for that, Sean, including that, you know, sort of at a, at a larger level, it's because the venture world was not set up to be friendly to busy operators, right? Just like the corporate world. And I actually think that the, one of the upsides to COVID is that you no longer have to have this rigid construct of going into a corporate day job, right, from eight mm. to five, which doesn't work when you don't have a stay-at-home spouse. Um, and, um, and, uh, or it doesn't work very well when you have the childcare situation that you have in the United States and you don't have, you know, when you're starting out your career and et cetera, et cetera. And so it was the same with venture. It was like, how are you supposed to meet these founders that you're supposed to invest in? Like you either go get a computer science degree at Stanford, right? Or go to the GSB or something like that. Or you go to these happy hours where you try to meet people because it is all about relationships. But the last thing that people like me who are like, you know, trying to juggle it all, want to do at 5 p.m. is like go to a happy hour and meet a bunch of 20-something-year-olds to figure out what to invest in. It's just not our, yeah. our scene. And so, and so it was, um, so it was, um, so what I wanted to do was instead of making all of these incredibly talented, mostly women and people of color and immigrants fall in the category, I call them women for shorthand, but I encompass all these categories, which is instead of saying, okay, you women need to conform your busy lives and your priorities into this rigid construct of how you typically source for deals and how you typically will meet with founders. I was like, that's not going to work because one, I don't want to do that. And two, I would say they have their priorities straight. You know, what they want to do at the end of the day is go home to their families, right? Or their friends, or maybe get some exercise. And so what I wanted to do with Operator Collective is if I could build something that was so compelling, the venture world would come to us. Right. And we could do it on our terms. And also the way I set up Operator Collective um, as a and I'm a builder of products and new businesses. And so it's like I also had to build something that was friendly for the operators. And so because in some ways our product, right, is our operating talent and our operating network and our customers are founders. And we've always built it that way. We run this like a company, not a not a typical venture fund, even though it's a fund and structure. And so so that's that was the idea behind it was to make it accessible because. It's like, oh, you kind of want to do it, but how do I, how do I get in? And this was not about just angel investing for the sake of angel investing or investing for the sake of investing. This was about investing in the, in the best companies and, and making a shitload of money for the people who aren't engaged in this wealth creation right now. And then the other thing was um, to concentrate that effort into this community that we were mutually 
um, have mutually aligned incentives and make sure that the people who are involved in this or do our best to make sure that people are all values aligned. So the companies that we're helping to accelerate and make more successful mm. are those that we think are making the world a better place, not by having the next great like soup kitchen, you know, software or something like that, but because you treat people well, because you value culture, because you value diversity, because you value, um, you know, pushing the limits beyond sort of the, the, the typical usual suspects. Um, and so that was that was the idea behind it. And then on one more point, and you might be surprised when you look at our, our website and you see our 137 operator LPs who were part of Fund One in the launch, um, over 70% had never invested in venture before. And you look at these people, you're like, well, why not? And we actually, we surveyed them before we, before we launched and it was because never been asked, didn't think I was qualified, you know, didn't have time. Um, and, uh, but a lot of them just, just weren't asked. And so the idea yeah. behind Operator Collective was always to have this be an access point to venture to say, hey, you are an investor. You have a lot to add. Let's make it easy for you. But let's not just do it, you know, like make you recreate the wheel like, like I did for my year off, right? Or my year <laughs> of exploration. But to say, yeah. here's all the things. Here's the tools. Here's some intros. And then also we do things like collectively, like diligence things. Um, ultimately, the fund makes the decision on what we invest in, but it's a way of working across the community to figure out what are the what are the best companies, and so, um, and so that's that's why. Like now, it seems obvious. Like of course you need these people, but remember when I yeah. started Operator Collective, this is back in 2018. Like operators were not were like, oh, you're an operator, right? They were not. They were like somehow in this world of venture. Like VCs have put themselves at the top. I actually have no idea why mm. VCs are at the top. VCs should actually be at the bottom. Um, and yes, I recognize I am a VC, but I mostly identify as an operator. Um, it's really the founders and the operators who should be at the top, right? The VCs are there to support, but this doesn't work. Money, money is easy to come by these days, right? And so it is about it is about the founders and the founders very, very quickly realize I cannot do this without the operators. But back in 2018, it's like... Everything was around the VCs and the founders tweeting to each other and having all these events and things like that, putting each other on these lists and stuff. And us operators who were focused and I only I mostly talk about just enterprise because that's what we do. It's like just, oh, you just work for a big company right? Mm. or you've helped you know do that. But you are employee 500 at Salesforce. Right. You weren't part of the, the early team. Um, but now I think people realize more than ever um, the value of it. It's crazy to hear Malin talk about the word operator as almost this dirty word in that context. But looking back at just her story, it's clear the trajectory and transformation operators have undergone in such a short period of time. When you hear it in its entirety, Malin's story and the Operator Collective's mission are things to marvel at. But here's the thing. If you're listening to this show, what she's saying doesn't just apply to her. It likely applies to you as well. If you've worked in a fast-growing company or seen specific parts of a company's journey before, it's really hard for somebody else to replicate that in any sort of training. Founders, VCs, everybody wanted to talk to Malin and found what she had to say interesting and valuable. I want to spend some more time on the 137 operator LPs that Malin mentioned because if you're like me, you're listening to this and thinking, wow, I want to be one of them someday. Malin and the team at the Operator Collective are finding values-aligned companies that treat people well, value diversity, and oh, by the way, aren't shy about the fact that they are there to create wealth for their partners in an industry that felt inaccessible to them. 
I wrote down her stat that 70% of their operator LPs hadn't invested in venture before. If you look at the roster of people on their website, that stat will floor you. So who are these people? What did Malin mean when she said she was putting together a community of operators? She said that when they launched, they actually had to define what an operator was. So venture funds, right, have limited partner investors who are investors in the fund. And your typical venture fund um, was, uh, it was institutional investors, high net worth individuals, family offices, right, who puts in, put in millions and millions of dollars. And then certain venture funds would then ask like the portfolio CEOs, right, who'd gotten a big exit to say, do you want to invest? And so only a select few people had um, had been able to invest. And, and usually the buy-in number is, you know, at, at least $250,000, which is, which is a lot of money for, you know, just, it's a lot of money. And so, um, and so what I started with was um, not the CEOs actually, although we have a number of CEOs um, who are, who are in it. What I joke is um, was, we have a number of CEOs and founders, what I joke, but I'm only sort of joking, which is if you're a founder or a uh, you can be part of Operator Collective um, and you can be an operator if you're a founder who can scale. <laughs> so operators are sort of a heightened level of, you know, are you someone who knows how to build and scale? Um, uh, and I joke because I do love all of our founders and CEOs in <laughs> our portfolio. Um, they're hyper talented, have a very hard job. Anyway, so, so, so what I started with was actually not the CEOs, even though we, like I said, we have a number of phenomenal yep. CEOs like, you know, like Eric and, and others, but I started with the people who are really building and growing and scaling these, um, these really the most, uh, like, um, admired companies in the world. Um, so the, the COOs or the people who are on the ground floor in building up Salesforce and Stripe and, um, and New Relic and, um, and Cloudflare, et cetera. And, um, and then we actually ended up with some CEOs along the way too. Um, and, uh, but really we started with the people who are on the ground actually building this stuff and, and running this stuff. Um, on a daily basis and have felt the pain and have, and um, because those are the people who really weren't participating, right? The CEOs had had a lot of those opportunities. And so um, that's who we started with. And and I know you, you are now encouraging other folks. One of the reasons why I reached out to you was you, you were publicly saying, look, I, I, I have a lot of people asking for my advice about how to break into this industry. And, and your kind of go-to at this advice at this point is, go be an operator. And so I'm curious, like, if you want to see these candidates learn and grow and come out the other side, what is it that you want them to walk away from their operating experience with such that they can then ultimately provide value to operator collective portfolio companies someday? Yeah, so this is a problem. Um, because because I, I, um, I'm, I'm hiring for our investing team. And so I was interviewing a number of associates and super smart, really, really phenomenally talented associates. But every time I ended the conversation, especially for those who had never operated before, I'm like, are you sure you really want to do venture? Like you really should um, like think about, think about operating because you can always go to venture later if you want to. But if you really want to truly understand, you know, the, the founder journey and the, and the startup journey, go to operating and think about it. And if you're interested in operating, like, let me know, cause we'll put you somewhere in our network. And so, um, I guess for better or worse, all of those people have come back to me to say, I thought about what you said and I, um, 
I, I'm going to, I'm going to look for a job operating. So the, uh, the pitch for anyone who's listening on, on the podcast is like, now we, we still need to hire that associate because <laughs> everyone I've been talking to, um, I've been telling to go back to operating. Uh, doesn't mean that everyone should. Um, and I just, I just think that you should have some operating experience. It gives you some context for, for whatever you do later in life. And, um, and, you know, it can range from being at an early stage startup, if that's what you love. It could be actually um, getting some really phenomenal training at a, at a high growth startup, you know, late stage growth startup, or maybe it's going to um, a big company. You know, I was at a big company, even though Cisco's felt like a startup when I was there, um, <laughs> there were already, you know, thousands of people. But but a lot of times, you know, even those big companies are have have startup aspects of them layered on top mm. of like really phenomenal training. And I would have to imagine, too, just with the community that you've built, you now have this kind of very broad network of companies that have these operational superstars at them that if you want people or know people who want to get that experience, you now have this network that you could potentially either place or introduce these people to because. They're all the LPs in, in your fund, right? Um, yeah. I mean, and, and that's, that's what this was trying to, like, this, this was deliberate. There's a lot of things that, that the, the original idea, I didn't know, you know, back in 2017 that, okay, I'm going to build a fund that has a bunch of operators and this is why. That came yeah. more fluidly. But when I knew that I wanted to build this, everything was deliberate about how we set this up. Like, you don't build a community like, like by accident. This is my fourth community. I know how to build communities at this point. And so it's very deliberate. And so what I wanted this to be was, um, you know, values aligned, you know, uh, really, uh, really talented, um, amazing people um, professionally, but also um, I think that they also see this is there's, there's this humility too across, um, um, across our, across our community. And, it was meant to be um, the operators, uh, the operator investors in our fund, the operator LPs, and all of their networks too. And so what we, and, and it is about saying, okay, yes, we're invested in, and we concentrate, we try to concentrate our, our efforts on, on our portfolio companies, of course, but it is also about, okay, we've gotten, we've had, um, you know, probably a dozen or more people who have gotten um, jobs, right, from this. Uh, some who are operator LPs, some are friends of operators who have come in. Uh, we've had a number of board seat placements. We've had a number of C-suite executives. Uh, Layla Seika, for instance, who um, is phenomenal, right, and, and my partner, um, she first started when she was at Salesforce and had known her. She was like the only woman in SaaS for a long time. Right? <laughs> I'm sure you know Layla. Um, and, and so... Um, so she started out as an LP because she was an EVP and GM at, at Salesforce at the time. And after she decided to leave Salesforce after, you know, over 10 years, I was like, hey, why don't you come hang out for, with us for a while? Um, and luckily she did. And she worked, stayed with us, you know, full time for two years. And at the end of two years, um, when she was ready to go back to operating, there was a portfolio company that she had spent literally once a month, at least with the CEO for two years, helping him. And, um, wow. and it became very natural when they were ready and she was ready to go back to operating for her to join. And now that's phenomenal because like, you know what, if they had tried, if, you know, it's Jason and Jason, um, Baymig and, and Ironclad, um, it's a phenomenal company. And, and I would say if, if, if Jason had tried to recruit Layla, like blind out of LinkedIn, right. To be like, Hey, really my startup's better than the next one. Right. And you should join the Salesforce, right. Yeah. And, and, and everyone wanted Layla, right? It's like, do yeah. you, would she really have joined? Um, probably not. You know, um, she, I know because in, even before she joined Operator Collective full-time, she had some 
offers to be um, CEOs, right? And so by having the opportunity to work together for two years, you build this trust, you have a deep understanding of the company and the opportunity and the challenges. And so when the time came, it was very natural for her to decide to take the COO role there. And, and I'm, you know, well, of course I miss her on a daily basis and I give Jason all kinds of crap for it. Um, <laughs> like she is always part of operator collective. She's the chair of our board. I talk to her all the time and, and it becomes this, where we're concentrating all this phenomenal talent into these value values aligned companies um, where we are helping them grow and scale um, as part of this community. So, so that those are things that happen kind of along the way. Um, and sometimes people have ended up with, you know, we have a number of people have ended up in board seats, right? We their first board seats. We've also do mentor mm-hmm. matches, which is, Hey, um, you know, at the end of the day, everything falls on the CEO's shoulders and the CEO often hasn't done all of these things that, her team is doing. And so what we have done is, okay, we need someone who knows how to scale biz ops. Let's just say that from, you know, series C to B. So we match them with a mentor who has done that. And it's incredibly helpful because, because the CEO probably hasn't done that before either, nor does, nor does she have the time. And so, so that's, that's, those are all sort of the different ways that the operator, um, like some of the ways that the operator network is engaged. It's not just about like, oh, Sean, just giving his advice on how do you do sales ops, right? It's, yeah. It actually goes beyond that. It's what connections do you have? Who do you know in your network that is, might be looking for a job or might be open to an opportunity? And, and when you have that contextual background and that credibility to say, Hey, we've worked with this company for two years. Um, we know what their trajectory is. You should take this phone call, right? That is what makes a difference. This is what I mean about everything about operator collective was meant to be deliberate because it's, it is at the end of the day about relationships as opposed to, you know, just like, Oh, go ping someone randomly on, on LinkedIn, which by the way can work, but it's not particularly efficient. You can't stress enough Malin's point that it's the operator LPs and their networks too. This isn't just a community. It's a community and an advisory and a recruiting placement group and a mentorship matchmaker all rolled into a VC firm. And if you're listening carefully, none of that is by mistake. When you have this snowballing network effect, all the folks whose attention Malin was trying to draw in the first place will naturally be drawn to them. Founders, other VCs, and operators alike will all have reasons to pick their heads up and pay attention. Now, if you've ever listened to this show before, you'll know that I love talking to people who have as many data points to draw from in their day-to-day as possible. And so with this expanding network at their disposal, I was wondering how Malin and the team at the Operator Collective might start leveraging their collective superpowers in the future. Will they have playbooks for just about anything an operator like us might need? What's next? I'm all about, as you can see, like efficiency and shared knowledge right? As opposed to having people recreate the wheel. And so absolutely, right? What are real operators using now? What are the things that are the best? And and like one of the things when we make introductions about, you know, to companies in our portfolio, it's, by the way, we looked at everything in this space. We think that this is, this is going to be the winning solution. And also we diligence it across real users, right? And, um, and because we try and also screen the other question that we ask beyond, is this going to be a great company? Is this going to make us, you know, you know, expand wealth creation and generate great returns? Because, you know, we're a business. This is not a nonprofit, right? This is about, this is about, um, making this hopefully one of the most successful venture funds around, um, is that we also ask the question of, um, would we refer our friends to work there? 
because that's actually mm. what we do, right? And if we wouldn't, why would we do that? We also ask the question of, would we want our kids to work there someday? Because if we don't, you're not making the world a better place, right? And we do have the power and the ability to accelerate the success of these founders. And um, we can't do it for them, right? The founders always do it for themselves. And But, um, but we have the ability to um, accelerate by, um, you know, um, Ambrosia, who was also very early on, um, with us. She's, uh, she's phenomenal. Ambrosia Vertesi and like one of our CEOs needed to talk to her about something. And, and he told me afterwards, he's like an hour with her just saved me three weeks, right. Of spinning mm. my wheels. And when you can do that. And then another, uh, another time is, um, you know, a company that during our diligence process, what we do is we introduce them to a number of, potential users that are in our portfolio, or I'm sorry, that are that are generally LPs um, or in our operator network. And based on that feedback, we give them feedback, we give, you know, we tell them to give give the, the founders feedback. And I'm also very blunt about it. I'm like, by the way, they're going to try and sell you the product, right? And you can buy it if you want, you don't have to. <laughs> of course. And, and, it's, and of course, the founders, they should absolutely try to sell them the product. And so in this one case, we... Um, we made these intros to three large enterprises, went in through our um, operator LP who made the introduction to the right person within the company, because a lot of times it's that warm intro. And um, and uh, and so it came back very, very positive. We ultimately decided to invest in the company. And then based on the strength of that, because now they were, they were on their path toward POCs with these three major enterprises with very strong buzz out there, three weeks after we funded the seed, they got a preemptive A from multiple companies. And so those are the kinds of things that, that, um, that, that, that we've done. But at the end of the day, um, it is about how do you, how do you know, we also are obsessive about data gathering, right? So everything that we're, we track everything. And so your question about, is there sort of a, um, a future version of this where we share that back out um, even more broadly than our own um, our own portfolios? Um, yes, yeah, like I, that, that is a plan, but you know, we're a startup like every other startup. And so the first version of any startup is prove the model and does this work? The good news is um, it works and it works well um, because uh, if you didn't, if it didn't work, it's like, why would there be a, an act two, right? Um, yeah. I, you know, we might, we, we might zig and zag and do something else. Shocking that a fund run by operators is going to be well set up to gather data right from the beginning. I can't, I can't imagine that have, ha yeah. have I mean, happened. You know, and but, but you, you know, you're you're an operator. It's like execution's hard. You can have the best idea, but execution is really, really hard. Um, and um, and frankly, Operator Collective is a success because so many people like believed in this right when it was just an idea and like a PowerPoint deck, just barely and, um, and, and nothing else. And so, um, but it is thanks to people who, who believed in it, who believed in it early, who were willing to put real money into it. were willing to put their time into it and continue to do so. So, um, yes, uh, no surprise, but in some ways also there's no way it would exist without like the collective. Before we go at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? Oh, um, Love in the Time of Cholera. I used to only read nonfiction for a long time, and I'm trying to go back to fiction. Nice. Uh, favorite part about working in ops? Team. People. Love working part as a team. Least favorite part about working in ops? Oh, um, 
Mm. Uh, the grunt work that we all have to do, right? Um, we all have it as part of it, but can't be helped. Someone who impacted you getting to the job you have today? Um, that would be Dan Scheinman, um, who's, a, who's an advisor to the fund, a longtime mentor of mine. He was one of the first people I talked to about this idea because I had a couple of other ideas and he was like, eh, <laughs> this one. He was like, you're on to something. Keep going. That's awesome. Uh, all right. Last one. I'm going to tweak this one a little bit for you. So normally I ask, you know, one piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. Um, because of the audience for this show are a lot of operators inside of hypergrowth companies who, you know, could potentially be, you know, the types of folks who could be future LPs at some, a place like Operator Collective in the future. You know, what's one piece of advice for them to be on that track to be, you know, part part of your community one day? So, um, I mean, some of this may sound a little bit sort of cliche or obvious, which is which, but but it's true. Which is, you know, surround yourself with the people that you can learn from and want you to succeed. Um, I think sometimes um, it's like if something doesn't feel right, uh, it's like oh, I can go change things. But sometimes, especially if you're an operator in a big company, there's there's you, 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 there's there's little you can actually really change. And I hate to sound sort of Debbie Downer about that, but but I think that there, um, what I've been fortunate is I've, I've been surrounded by people who wanted me to succeed. For people who saw things in me before I even did, and in fact, sometimes I go back to I'm like, why? why? Like, what did you possibly even see? Um, and so people who will see things in you that you don't see, and then it is about getting as many skills as you can. I used to complain when I was at Cisco, like, oh my God, I'm getting trained again. And like this training and that training, how am I supposed to do my work? I am so grateful for that training, like take full advantage of it. And so um, for, for whether you want to go on and be a VC or you wanna go on and be a founder, or you wanna go on and like um, be the CEO of a public company, um, focus, on, focus on doing and learning and doing the best job you can at what you're doing. And then when you have those phenomenal people around you who are your sponsors, who are your mentors, who will lift you up, who will look for opportunities to do so, you don't have to sit there from the time that you've just graduated from college to say, oh, I'm just going to build a brand, like get the skills first. Um, and and I do believe when you surround yourself with the right type of people, um, uh, you can enable uh, the, the rest to come and also obviously taking advantage of the opportunities that arise. Thanks so much to Mal and Yen for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. If you liked what you heard, make sure you are subscribed to our show. It comes out every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you took something away from today, let us know. Leave us a review. Leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, six-star reviews only. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.